Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. You know, when we were getting ready to do this episode, I thought I was going to have to do it alone because uh, uh, my co-host Steve Foster was was lounging last week, you know, just taking it easy on his back. Uh, of course, he was in the hospital. Steve, how you doing? <laughs> Jeff, I'm doing a lot better now than I was seven days ago, I can tell you that. Well, was, that's good crazy. to hear. That's good to crazy. hear. What? Uh, uh, how's your prognosis for recovery? When are you going to be back on the range? Uh, I, I spent five whole days in the hospital, uh, and I don't mind sharing this with you. I had E. coli, which is, like, crazy. And people get it, and sometimes people don't know that they have it because it kind of like a bad tummy ache, and people think they got food poisoning for a couple of days. But I was one of the, the few proud people that um, it turned into sepsis which is a blood infection and oh yeah no it was uh i had a full-blown uh, situation going on there <laughs> jeff it was it was crazy it was well crazy. you know steve I- i've known you for a couple of years now and and the one thing i can say is that you don't do anything halfway it's it's all or nothing so i mean <laughs> if, if you're gonna get sick you're gonna get sick i mean that's just the way it is <laughs> And, well, you know, and, and I do appreciate Jeff that um, you know because I've got a lot of uh, I've got a lot of friends from you know my from my friends and family, immediate friends and family, as well as uh, through work, and certainly uh, a lot of my friends come through the sh- uh, for, <laughs> through the shooting community, and uh, really appreciate the love and support from uh, from that group because. Man, it was uh, it was kind of rocky, rocky there a couple times, and I, I had offers from more than one person to come uh, with some ski masks to break me out of the hospital. And Jeff, I do think they were serious, so <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the love and support. It really meant a lot, and uh, appreciate those. And I won't go through everybody, but there's some folks that helped us out locally um, with with our kids, so my uh, my parents could uh, or my wife and I could spend some time together at the hospital. So, no, I appreciate everybody that helped out. It means it means a ton to me. So, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Well, you know, we talked about, uh, we've talked with uh, Mike Foley, we've talked with Zach Jones, but, you know, this, this is another good episode where I want to get into some of the meat of what actually happened with regards to shooting at the match. How's that sound? Oh, I'm digging it. Let's talk about it. We can put a put a pin in this one all right so i'm looking at the world record division world records and there were six division world records set out of 13 right out of 13 that's Um, crazy and in fact it's probably where everybody would expect them it's in the rifles and in the rimfire right there were no new records set in the uh, in the centerfire pistols. So I'm looking here at the numbers, and just quickly, since I got them in front of me, uh, Chris Barrett set one in PCCI, another one in PCCO, and another one in RFRO. Neil Norman set one in RFPI, KCUCBO in RFPO, and Cole Bush in RFRI. Now, you say to yourself, okay, great, lots of world records going down. But then I compared them to the previous world records, which, quite frankly, most of them were set last year. 
Right. Okay. So let's just take rimfire rifle open. Last year, Mackenzie Bragg set the record at sixty-four forty-five for rimfire right. rifle open. Chris shot a fifty-six fifty-seven, breaking that by seven point eight eight seconds. It's crazy. Almost eight full seconds. That's crazy. Now, people, put that in perspective. That's on average. A quarter of a second, a string on every stage score he took in, or every every string he took in to score. That's a second a stage. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, you want to be even more flabbergasted? I know where you're going next. Let's go there. PCCI, Cole Bush in 2019, set the world record at 69.56. Chris Barrett set it this year at 59.48 for 10.08 seconds faster. It's crazy. That's it crazy. Is, it is unbelievable. You know, and there are still some other ones. I mean, uh, quickly, PCCO, Ethan, last year, 65.46. This year, Chris, 60.33 for 5.13 seconds. And finally, what I consider to be a quite impressive feat as well, and this record has been held... Well, actually, there's two records that have been held since 2015 that were broken. Okay? In 2015, Max Michelle shot RFPO at a 60.75. And this year, KC shot it at a 58.43 for 2.32 seconds. That's smoking. And then the only one that ends up being you know, like, kind of how world records should be broken. You know, over the course of eight stages, this world record was broken by 0.73 seconds. And in 2019, or 2015, Colby Pavlock set rimfire pistol iron at a 72.59, and Neil Norman shot a 71.86. I love it. Love that it. Shoots, that guy shoots his rimfire pistol iron faster than I shoot my rimfire pistol open. <laughs> don't feel bad he's doing that with a lot of us <laughs> <laughs> you know so it was it was pretty amazing you know when you start digging down here and you and you say to yourself well how does this happen what is it that that does this and so i started looking at the individual stage records and I think you know the number. You know how many different stage world records were set this year? Oh, wow. Do you remember uh, the number? 44. Close. 38. That was close. Yep. That was close. That's and crazy. Some of them were, you know, in that, uh, in fact, let me just do the quick number here. Uh Thirty-two of them were broken by less than a second, which is still an impressive feat. Remember, now we're talking about stages, so you're only talking about four strings. So that's so what, what, what's what's the percentage of that? How many stage times? It was thirty-eight out of what's it, one hundred and forty-two or something? One hundred and four. One hundred forty-four. So if we do thirty-eight divided by one hundred four. It's thirty. It's over one third. Yeah, yeah. Over a third. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Because again, we're talking here. We're talking about uh, 
some of the, you know, we're talking about stage records. So uh, there are there was a, a couple. There was an iron sight revolver. A couple of those were broken. Um, okay. Reset by the ex world the uh, the past world champion, and he just bettered his own score. Let's put it that way, and that goes to Michael Pogi. Um, uh, you know, he is the predominant iron sight revolver shooter at the upper levels uh, when it comes to steel challenge. But, you know, there was uh, a, a good example in open, okay, on pendulum. Uh, Casey Eusebio uh, took that world record from a 956 that sat stood since 2016 by B.J. Norris down to a 924. Now, that's an open. That's pretty, you know, 924, you know, you talk 924s in, in, uh, in, uh, in the rimfire game and it doesn't hold up, but you're talking about a centerfire pistol here from a draw in open. That's 924 is just smoking. Yeah, that is smoking. But here's a couple of the ones that really start to talk about how world records are set. When you talk about Here's a good example. Last year, Cole Bush set the speed option record in PCCI at a 9.01. And in the past, we'd go, yeah, that's, that's cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Barrett did a 7.15 this year. Woo, son, that's cooking. 186. And this is where you, this is this is what you start doing. And you start seeing is that, you know, you've got to shoot all the stages incredibly fast. And I you know, I, I, I hey, I'm not taking anything away from all those top guys, but you've also got to have all the stars line up. Because we've all had the occasional failure to fire, failure to feed. Sure, sure. In my case, failure to reload. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened to me. <laughs> Luck, luckily, I never did it at the Worlds, but uh, I have done it at other matches. <laughs> uh, you know, or gun breaks. You know, firing pins break, and you, you've got to have the stars line up. And and you know, uh, I think the reliability of a lot of these guns is also. Uh, a big part as to why uh, these world records are able to be set because they are running for the whole match without a problem. Right. 100% agree. So, I really wish we were doing a video of this because it would really talk to what I've been preaching. And, you know, I'll say it again, you know, you want to go fast. It's grip the gun and go one for one. Right. And you're going to put down your fastest times because I highly doubt that, you know, yourself, Grant, Cole, Chris, any other top dogs that are in this game, for whatever gun they're shooting, are up there with a, a weak grip, even with the rifles. You know, right. it's... It's snug. Right. It's snug in there. Oh, yeah. It's firm. But I really wanted to impress on people how 
what the difference is in these top shooters uh, compared to, we're just going to say, a solid GM score. Right. Because I think that's fair. I th- you know, you sit there and you go, how does this person, you know, I took roundabout. Okay. Roundabout's uh, peak time in PCCO, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, seven and a half seconds. And I'm just checking yep. that to make sure. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, so we go down here, roundabout, PCCO, roundabout is one, wait, yep, it's seven and a half seconds. Right. So I took this year's current world record setting time. Little shout out to Emily Cunningham, because she's the one who said it. Emily. Emily shot a 609 on a stage with a peak time of 7.5. Right. So, yeah, you're looking at just over one and a half seconds of string. Right, right, right. And then I took the person in the match who shot closest to the peak time. So somebody that shot close to that seven and a half, right? Right. And I found somebody, there was somebody in the match, they shot a 7.49. Okay. Okay. That's pretty darn close. Absolutely. Uh, So here's some of the interesting things, and and you're probably going to go, well, I'll I'll wait and let's see see what you say, okay? But let's look at Emily's strings here. First of all, Emily had five strings of one for one. That's that. Now, remember, she shot a 609, average of... 1.52. 1.52. Okay? So what first, was her first string? First string, 176. Perfect. Yep. Next string, 160. Yep. Next string, 155. Yep. Next string, 151. Yep. Final string, 143. Perfect. Now... I know what I'd say about this, but I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple things going through my mind, having uh, spent some time working with Emily and Bridget Bingo. Uh, at, my, <laughs> at, my, at my range in March. But it's when we t- there's a couple points here, Jeff, and I think the, the, the second point we'll get into here a little bit is people, in, and this is what I teach, and I've written a ton about it, and I talk about this until I'm blue in the face, is you can't have your first string be that 143. Or, or you can, and maybe you get a miss and all that kind of stuff, but Emily just displayed exactly what I what I teach on the range is get up there, get your, and I call it 85%, whether it's 82.5 or 92.5, get your one-for-one really comfortable string, and then take that targeted edge dial and just dial it up and dial it up. And then on that last one, you got four good strings. You got it. You have a decision to make. You can either get like what she did in that 150 range on string number four and say, Hey, let me get one more of those. And I'll drop my overall time by 0.2 seconds, or I'm just going to rip one and see how fast I can really go. And I think if you were to call up Emily and ask her about the 143 or whatever, the last one she shot, 
she's probably right at the edge of her capability or probably even lost. If you're going to ask Emily what she saw on that last, uh, that last string, she'd probably sit here and tell you that she was past her edge, but I can 100% edge where her were breaking down where she probably didn't see the dot on every single play that she pulled. Yep. And, and because she's a smart shooter in that position to shoot that, that string extremely, extremely well. And I'll get into the second point, but I want you to get into the second point before, before I uh, dive into it and talk about where the time difference is between the, uh, the set of strings that were shot between her as well as somebody else. Sure. So, you know, the biggest thing I took away from this was exactly, again, I'm like, okay, this is the Steve Foster School of How to Shoot Steel Challenge. Um, you know, come out, get a good run in, and then keep dialing it up. Um, <coughs> if you happen, you know, she didn't, but if you happen to have that, take an extra shot into the, on the third or fourth string, then you got to dial it back and just, you know, get that good score in. Um, that was the first thing. Now, I've got the date in front of me. Um, the thing that I can see here, and this is the new thing I am preaching uh, uh, outside of my, you know, grip the gun and go one for one, is you've got to move fast. Um, her splits on... I mean, her draws were all within literally .04, which is nominal. It, it's irrelevant. It's a number that doesn't matter. The difference being is that they were all right there in that half-second range. Right. And you can't get a good string down if you miss your first plate. So, you know, my looking at this... My guess is she said, okay, I've got to make sure I'm always getting the first plate. Absolutely. I can't just drive hard and hope for the best. Um, and, that, and, that's, and that's a fosterism 101. Yep. Is, do you know, how many, you know how many first plate shots I've probably missed in the last 50,000 rounds I've shot? Two. Maybe one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking one, but it certainly could be two. And when people come over and train, they're like, well, how do I work on my first shot? No, no, you don't understand. The first shot is never going to be, well, I say never going to be your problem. I have spent a lot of time with a lot of people, and I have not seen somebody that is just so painfully deliberate on the first shot that doesn't have the same type of issue on the other four. Yep. So I'm a, a strong proponent, proponent of, hey, even bullseye that first one, then let's get this thing off to the races. When Chris and I shoot against each other, I think it was, uh, Alex with uh, AMG Labs Timer, AMG Labs. He uh, he said, "Man, did you realize your first shot on smoking up was faster than Chris Barrett's?" I'm like, "No, but it doesn't surprise me." But what's happened with Chris and and certainly Grant is what we're talking about. Jeff is their transitions from yep. plate to plate are just bla I mean, a blazing fast. Well, you know, one of the I always you know uh, I love oxymorons. You know, jumbo shrimp, military intelligence. <laughs> I won't tell anybody you said that. <laughs> I'm kidding to all my friends who serve. Thank you for your service. It's just a joke. Um, but there's an oxymoron in this game, and that's stopping fast. 
And, you know, the first thing you think about when you think about the word fast is not stopping. But that's what you have to be able to do. And, I mean, these guys have actually taken it to another level where on a plate that they're passing through, okay, let's just take plate two in in roundabout, say. More than likely they're shooting at one, two, and then transitioning to the right-hand side of the stage. Um, they may be shooting three, four. They may be shooting four, three. But that plate two, my guess is they're not stopping on it. It's a drive-by. Um, yeah, and, in, 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 in play two of accelerators, the epitome is that example. Yes, good point. But those plates where you're having a direction change. So let's face it, no matter how you shoot roundabout, you're going to change direction after you shoot plate four. You have to come back to the middle and shoot the stop plate. They've got it down so perfect where they're there and they've stopped to change direction and as they're doing that they're able to pull the trigger right because and and everybody who who is having trouble doing that it's because you're not stopping like if you could video these guys i guarantee if you could get it in slow motion they're pulling that trigger at the exact moment that they're stopping they are not moving when they're shooting that plate Right. Now, like you said, plate two in, in accelerator, plate two in roundabout. I don't think they're stopping. I think they're slowing down considerably, but I would bet money that the gun never stops. You when, know, when, I, when, I shoot, when I shoot accelerator or second plate on roundabout, the gun's not stopping. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, I'm not as fast as you guys, but I'm the same way. Uh, it's... it's I don't even know if I'm seeing the dot on the plate, quite frankly. I'm just taking it as it's that close, and if, if my, if my uh, technique is correct, I'm going to hit that plate. Right. Now, that does not go for, you know, plate two and pendulum by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but those two. So let's – you wanted to talk about um, the uh, – the strings that were thrown by the other shooter, and I'm not going to call them out because it's not about that. It's about using their time uh, as a comparison. Yeah, as a baseline. The right. splits, really, right? Right. So you're talking about a difference of about one and a half, maybe not quite, maybe 1.4 seconds between these two, these two uh, stage scores. And inter interestingly enough, this shooter's first string was also thrown out. But it was thrown out because he shot seven shots. Right. Okay. Actually, take that back. He shot eight shots. And my guess is, is that he said, okay, now I need to settle down and just put in solid strings. And so his strings were 189, 185, 193, 182. So all of those strings were within a tenth of a second of each other. But he couldn't follow the Steve Foster method of ramp it up a little, ramp it up a little, because he'd already thrown out his first string. Right, right. Then you're behind, and that's not a good place to be shooting from. Right. And then, you know, digging into it and going, where did this person lose the, the most time? 
you know, basically he's losing somewhere between 0.2 and 0.3 seconds per string. And I'm not exactly sure how they shoot it. I'm almost positive Emily shoots this 1, 2, 4, 3 stop. Do you know? Yeah, I, I believe. Well, um, at one point in time, that's exactly how she shot it. Um, and her and her dad, and I, I, I don't know. Hopefully Emily's not listening, but her and her, 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 her dad and I talked briefly about this because most people shoot from the left box in showdown the the same pattern that they shoot roundabout from. So mm-hmm. I did have him reach out to her, I don't know, it was probably a month or so maybe before the world speed shoot to ask her why she changed because sometimes on showdown she's shooting one way and another way on roundabout and even mid mid string, she would she would change. So um, when when we trained together, she was shooting at uh, uh, one two four three stop, and then we tried at one two three four stop because she was having a little bit of a issue on that back plate. And if you sh- it, so, let's talk about that real briefly because sure. a lot of people are like, well, should I ever change up plate orders and blah blah blah. I here's what I tell you is, is and I'll be the first person to tell you is whatever way you feel the most comfortable shooting, it's reasonable. So it's not like one, yes. four, two, three, or <laughs> yeah, something you're not, like that. You're not, you're not doing yeah. it. I'm going to call them out yeah, because so. the video was hilarious yeah. a couple of years ago. The Kurt Grimes um, ping pong way to shoot Smoke and Hope where you're basically going one, four, three, two, two, yeah. three. <laughs> Sorry, but, Kurt. But, but outside, uh, outside of that, however you feel most comfortable shooting it is you're going to shoot it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do from time to time in training is if somebody's really struggling is I will have them change up their order. And they're, now I'm giving away all my secrets. But the reason why I have them change up their order and then I'll actually switch them back to their other order is because it's, it's, they've kind of let their subconscious go to kind of handle business. And, you know, their subconscious is, is not burned into shooting it one for one. It's kind of let's throw a... The gun's not where he expects, where the eye expects it to be, and then you just pull the trigger because it's not on the plate. So by changing up the order from time to time, you force the conscious mind to influence the, you know, your level of shooting. And then if you flip it back, it burns it into your subconscious to, to, to think briefly, ever so briefly, about how to shoot, uh, how to shoot a stage in a particular order, and it. I, you know, the last five people that I've had in the last two months that have been over that have had this issue, it's it's fixed the issue within a 10-minute activity. Oh, yeah. So keep that in mind. That's that's a trick that usually you have to pay for to learn. <laughs> but, but uh, no, it, it, it certainly helps people if you get kind of messed up on one plate from here to, here to there on a particular stage. Steve, have you come up with a discount code for your training program? Is, do you have a discount code? No, but I've talked about, based on how busy I've been, I've talked about increasing the rate. So, uh. so you know, again, you, you actually mentioned uh, Alex and, uh, and the AMG Labs timer. And the reason why I was able to really dig into this is because right. the yep. timer uh, not only records the splits, because, you know, there's a lot of timers that record the splits, but it interacts with the practice score app on the pad 
which interacts with, of course, the Practice Score website. And you have Practice Score competitor, you can pull those scores down and you get the splits. Absolutely. You can actually go in there and look at any shooter's stage, and when you hit the bar graph of that uh, stage, you'll get the splits. And that's how I was able to pull this up, and that's how I was able to do the comparison. Now, of course, I had to take the date and type it into Excel. No big deal. And that's why I didn't do everybody. I just I just picked one specific um, stage and division. But this is a, a huge point that, that I use, is, and it's something that I really uh, started taking to heed a couple of months ago, um, and we may have, I know you and I have talked about it. I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast, but I was shooting accelerator practicing and I threw a good string for me and I threw another good string, both of them one for one runs, but they were a quarter second different. And I'm like, wait a minute. They, they, they felt the same. They were both good one for one runs. Where was my differential? Well, again, using the AMG Labs timer, pulled up the timer, looked at the strings, and realized that, for me, it was a huge part of it was transitioning to plate four and then transitioning to plate three. Sure. And if you don't know why you're fast or slow, you'll never be able to improve. Right. And so, you know, again, Alex is not a sponsor of the, the podcast. Uh, he's just a good friend. Um, do yourself a favor and get one of those timers. Um, they are invaluable. Uh, you know, I've always got my phone with me. Um, I've got the Practice Score app, which is free. You're able to, as a, as a practice session, you know, I started doing it with my kids that I train and I do it myself, is that I always end it with a match conditions run. So put it into the timer, and you'd be amazed what a difference it makes um, when you finally, even when your brain says, okay, this means something. It means more than just practice. It means more than just chucking rounds down range. Um, and if you can continue to shoot your practice times when you put yourself under a timer in practice, you know you're having a good practice. And you're, you're in the moment. At least these, this is my theory. Well, and, and to that point, um, whenever I practice or whenever I train, oh no, we hold ourselves accountable by using a timer and, and uh, shooting it all like a stage because the worst thing that can happen, and you know these people, we'll have to come up with a, a term for it because it happens. Maybe we just call it steel challenge math and keep it simple as that. Well, yeah, on that accelerator, I shot a 185, and if I multiply that by four, no, 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 you can't multiply it by four because that's not what you shot. You shot a 250, a 260, a 185, a two, and a 240. It's not steel challenge math. But, but that's what ends up happening is from, and, and even some of the best of us have, have done this, and don't act like you haven't done that, listener. I don't, I don't is know what he's talking about, bad. people. Uh, listen, I, I've never done that. I, I don't know what he's oh, talking just, about. Today? Because you haven't shot or what? <laughs> but, 
But what happens from a competitor perspective is, is that, well, I know what my personal best is, and it's, uh, you know, 185 on an accelerator, and I shoot a two flat on the first, on the first string, and blah, 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 and it's, well, you know, I'm getting discouraged because I'm not shooting a personal best, but what happens is, when you shoot with the methodology that I use, that I've trained and trained and trained, is that your overall times will come down, because you're actually looking at the uplate when it should be there, so on and so forth, and then you start to drop that targeted edge dial, your overall time starts going down, and then you can ramp it back up and, and push that push that barrier. So it's always about consistency and then and then you you turn it up from there. And I can go in we could spend two hours talking about all that, but it's a be careful the steel challenge math is what I'm trying to say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, why do I preach go one for one? Because your makeups take a lot of time. Right, right. You know, and I don't doubt that the top 200, maybe more, shooters could go out there and shoot a match and only fire 195 bullets. Their score wouldn't be competitive. Okay. You know, if you said, okay, you're, you're going to start on this stage, and as soon as you have a miss, you're out, everybody, and your time doesn't matter, everybody would buckle down, and they'd be able to shoot one-for-one one runs. That's not what I talk about when I talk about one-for-one. One. It's a one-for-one one run within, you know, your capability. If we could all shoot like Max Michelle we'd all be world champions, you know? And, I mean, if you ask Chris last year, and Chris is a pretty humble guy, and you said, you know, what do you think your chances are for next year? He'd probably say, I think I have a good chance. If you asked him, do you think you're going to shoot a 56? He'd probably say, no freaking way. Depends on what time of the year. Well, that's what I'm saying. A that's year, one year yeah. ago. One year. One year ago. No. I'm not no, talking about three months before the match. I'm talking about one year ago. Um, and he put us a lot of work in. I mean, you train with Chris. Right. Um, how much? I was supposed to be. I, I was supposed to be there this past Saturday. We were <laughs> going to have a. Yeah, but we were going to shoot a match at. At his place, and, uh, yeah, I had to go get sick and all that kind of chat. That's probably the biggest thing I'm bummed about <laughs> is not being able to shoot up there. So. Anyway. Well, okay, so take yourself, take Chris, and there's a number of other, the top shooters um, that either have a home range, have access to a range. My guess is they're putting minimally a 1,000 rounds a week down downrange. Oh, yeah, I think that's a safe number because... You know, uh, anybody that's got a, a range like that that's somewhat serious about this is probably shooting, let's say, a minimum three times a week. And it is nothing to shoot 300 rounds in a range session. Yeah. It, it just, it's, usually I'm shooting about 500. And sometimes when we get carried away and we'll shoot all day, you know, then you're talking, you could, I've done more than 2,000 rounds in a, in a day range session. So, yeah, all day. Well, I don't. All you know, day, I'm fortunate. Uh, I have access to a range. Um, it's not a home range, but it's access. Uh, and 
prior to the, the, the world speed shoot, for about the six weeks prior to the world speed shoot, um, I was out there twice a week, seven guns, doing 50 to 75 rounds a gun. Right. You know, trying to stay relevant in all the guns. Um, and, and I had set specific goals for what I wanted to do at the match. Um, right. I'm not that person that says, oh, I'm going to make the top ten. I, that wasn't my goal. And anybody who knows me who saw me at the match, you know, my mantra for the match was be one of the fastest old guys. <laughs> was, and, you know, and I was fortunate. You know, uh, um, I mean, I got lucky in, in, in one division, and I, I, I shot well enough to, to win a couple of titles. And sure. senior, senior titles. Let's let's be clear. Senior. Right. Right. And you know that's something else that I think a lot of people don't do, and I know you did it. it took you fourteen months or four hundred and two days. What was it? Yeah, I think it was four hundred and five days. Four hundred and five yep. days. Steve said after the World Speed Shoot in twenty nineteen, right? Yep, that's correct. In twenty nineteen, he said. I'm going to break 60. And prior to that, what did your what do you think your your best match had been? Oh, it's probably probably right in that 64 range. 64 range. So he's taken off, you know, on average a half a second the stage. Which we all know doesn't sound like a lot. Well, no. To the outside person, that doesn't sound like a lot, and we all know that's an eternity in this right. game. But he set a goal, and he set a plan, and he worked the plan, and he was fortunate enough to reach his goal. Yep. And I think that's some, you know, there's a lot of power in that, you know. I mean, I've got a goal right now in my mind, but listening to some of the motivational tapes that I'm listening to, I've got my next goal after that in mind. I'm not working on it, but I've got it in mind, so I've always got something I'm reaching towards. And, you know, once I, if I can reach my first goal, then I'll put together my plan for reaching my second goal. And, you know, I don't. this is not about, you know, a motivational talk or anything like that. But it's something everybody should consider doing is, you know, what is your goal? And, and you know, I want to be fast. That's a lofty aspiration. <laughs> That's not a goal. Um, make it hard. Make it steadfast. Make it what you want it to be. I want to shoot outer limits in under 10 seconds. Okay, how are you going to do that? Exactly. I want to shoot a match under 60. I want to shoot a match under 70. To some people, hell, I'm still I'm still chasing 70. Yep. You know, and so what is it going to take to get there? Where is it you got to do? Look at the data. The data is out there. The data is on the Steel Challenge website. It's in the Practice Score competitor app. It's on Practice Score. Take advantage of that stuff. Okay, I'm off my training. Well, and I'll also say this, that, you know, sometimes it's, it's what do you want shooting to be for you? You know, because there's a lot of people out there that are spending a lot of time and effort and money to be 
the top of the sport. And if you have a, a nine to five job and you got some kids and blah 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 blah, and you don't have a home range, you don't have that accessibility. Um, is it realistic then to you know to shoot a sub sixty? I don't know. I mean, it takes time and effort and resources to do that. I I know exactly what it takes to do that, <laughs> and it it's it, it's a lot. Not everybody's ready to put in that time and effort, but and that's okay. But if you do just want to get better and you don't have anybody in your area so on and so forth that can help you with that you know get, give me a shout look me up and and i have not had a single person that has stepped foot on my range that hasn't met their goals and a lot of it's just hey i want to get better i want to class up i want this or i'm at a hump i had somebody at my range uh you know a couple weeks ago that uh they they were struggling and they were a center fire shooter and you know what they went to Mississippi and shot four out of seven stages with a personal best with their production gun and had somebody else the week before that's that's been that's a grandmaster shooter and can't break in seventies if his life depended on it and I'm pretty confident based on what we had to do on a couple of stages is that he's gonna his next full match that he shoots to which I think is this weekend. He's gonna break in. Uh, he's gonna break into the seventies, and so and that comes motivation by itself. Because what happens from a mental standpoint is, is if you're if you got this mental, it's really a mental block that happens. It's really not. It's not the shooting part of it. It's not the mechanical part. Is that people just put a lot of weight on their shoulders and say, hey, you know, I want to do this. Now I'm getting frustrated because I can't get there. And what I do is I show them that it's it's possible, and you know, because everybody's got what I call a shooting tendency. I figure out what your shooting tendency is and some basic principles that we've talked about, and it's not rocket science. And, uh, you know, pe people get better. But sometimes you need to have those kind of conversations after you're at a plateau uh, to find the resources out there to, uh, to get better. And some of us are just really analytical people that, you know, there wasn't anybody that showed me some of the things that I'm talking to you about or, you know, I... Chris has learned from me, and I've learned from Chris and shooting shoot together. I'm like, so, Chris, why the heck do you put your foot over there like that? He's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, yeah, you don't do that. I'm like, nah, man, I never thought of that. And, and uh, you know, it's it's good to have people like that, but you got to be at a certain level to be able to pick up those different nuances. you got to be a good student of the game to, to pick them up. But um, if you're at that roadblock and you need help, give me a shout, and uh, hopefully I can uh, – I can help you or point you in the right direction. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a conversation I had with Chris probably about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. And I said, Chris, why do you stand? Why do you set up the way you set up in that crouchy position? And he looked at me oh, and sure, goes, yeah. he looked at me and he goes, have you seen how tall I am? <laughs> he goes, mm -hmm. I need the gun at five foot. Yeah. yeah. He goes, I get in that position because now... That gun is right where it needs to be when it comes up, and except for one stage, we all know it, pendulum, I don't have to mm -hmm. move the gun. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it, and, and to your point, you know, become a student of the game, analyze that stuff, talk to people, um, you know, listen, yes, Steve does have a home range, and if you go and train with him, it's not for free, Okay. But I'll be honest with you. If you don't abuse 
Steve at a match, meaning, you know, during the middle of him shooting, don't ask him what's the best way to shoot outer limits. Uh, okay. But if after the match you pull him aside, hey, Steve, can I pick your brain for a minute? Or me, or Grant, or Chris, or any of the top shooters, I guarantee you we're going to talk to you and we're going we're gonna to answer your question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Steve, you know, there's been something that's been weighing on my conscience. Oh, boy. What'd you do this time? And, and, and I got <laughs> to clear it up. I got to clear it up. You know, people have been asking on the Internet, are the peak times going to change? Oh, no, I've seen some people out there that said that uh, they already know what's going to happen. Is that possible, Jeff? Well, no, it's not. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because I'm the data nerd that takes all the data and comes up. I have a, we have an algorithm that's been developed that comes up with a recommendation to be made for the stage time changes per division and I am sick and tired and I'm probably going to piss Mike Foley and Zach Jones off uh oh but I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to change alright let's hear it right here right now uh oh okay. uh oh breaking news okay Here's what's going to happen, people. There's going to be a review, and then you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, okay. stress it enough. There have been zero decisions made as of yet. In the rule book, it states every year the times will be analyzed, and adjustments will be made accordingly. Now, an adjustment of zero is technically an adjustment. Just like an sure. adjustment of one second is an adjustment. So for those listening to this podcast, share it with your friends. No decision, one way or the other, has been made other than the fact that there will be a review. Does that clear it up? <laughs> uh, crystal clear. So, so just to, just make sure I understand. Yeah. So nobody knows at this point in time, including Mike Foley, what changes, if any, are going to be made. Correct. In fact, oh, okay. Even though the numbers okay. in front of me, the, the the recommended numbers in front of me, are just that. It's the numbers that the algorithm are recommending. But that doesn't mean that's going to be what the change is. Right, right, right. So right, right, right. your yep. statement is 1,000% correct. Nobody okay. knows what's going to happen. Yep. You can make all the suppositions, and you can surmise of what's going to happen based on what's happened in the past. And Nobody knows. <laughs> so I hope that clears it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, this has been a good one. I think I think we got some good information out here for people, uh, you know, breaking down, you know, this is uh, our, our final talk about the World Speed Shoot 2020. Um, again, great event. Uh, amazing, amazing, you know, times being shot. Um, I don't know about you. This is my third one, and it's it's getting to be the point where, like, it's old home days. You know, it's like we all get together. You finally get to see all your friends that you only see on Facebook. Um, you know, uh, for those that you don't get to shoot, you know, at a local match, uh, you get to see them. You get to hang out. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I am personally pleased that it's going to be at the CMP Talladega Marksmanship Park for the next three years. Yeah, me as well. I think it's a great venue, and it's uh, there's a lot of shooting that happens in the southeast. That's for sure. All right, well, Steve, I'm I'm done talking. You got any final parting comments? I'm good, Jeff. As always, uh, good talking with you, man. Especially after my long hospital stay. <laughs> well, listen, we're all glad you're better, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, see you, man. Bye, bye.